You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, East Point Church. How are you guys? Are you doing well today? It is so good to see you. Good to sing with you. Good to pray with you. Thank you to our elder, Chad, for leading us through a meaningful time of prayer. Uh, And so now we're going to dive into the Word. Go ahead and open up your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And as you turn there, I want to show you something uh, that's pretty vulnerable. I want to show you something that uh, means a lot to me. But the year was 2000, the turn of the century, Y2K. The year was 2000, and I was 10 years old living in New York City, living in Staten Island, New York, to be specific. And I was obsessed with something. And again, I just, is this a safe place? Can I, can I share this with you without you making fun of me, without you judging me and thinking wrongly of me? All right, so the year was 2000. All right, I'm a 90s kid. So gel pens, Pokemon, and what I'm about to show you. And so my mom, she actually came and visited us this past Christmas and brought a box of all my childhood stuff, a.k.a. get your stuff out of my attic or I'm dumping it, you know? It's like, you're 32, it's time. And so I'm going through my box, and I was reminded that as a 10-year-old kid, I was obsessed with WWF. And I literally have here, I collect, you see what kind of kid I was? I put them in sleeves, and I collected WWF trading cards. Do you smell what The Rock is cooking, anybody? Come on, man, Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. Am I the only one? WWF original, before it was WWE, so you know you're dating yourself, right? I was obsessed with wrestling, and then around in the early 2000s, there was this conspiracy that it was all fake, (laughs) you know? People believe anything these days. It's crazy. And so we loved WWF, and you know my favorite part of professional wrestling was? You know what it was? It was the walkout music. Come on, right? And so for those of you who are not privileged to know the beauty of professional wrestling, the way it would work is, you know, they had the tunnel, and it was like, and now, introducing, and then like, you know, you guys only know Dwayne Johnson from the movies. Before that, he was the rock, all right? And he would step out into the tunnel, and his signature song would come on, and he'd give you the eyebrow, you know, and, and he would just strut, and he'd walk down, full hype, full music, people losing their minds, and he would just step into the spotlight like, I've arrived, right? And it's time. The entrance music, and so we actually, as kids, we, I wish I still had these, but we would buy the belts from Toys R Us. Anybody own some championship belts? Come on, right? You guys, we'd own the belts, and we would actually ask each other, if you had your own walkout music, what would it be? If you had your own hype tape, what would it be? And we would literally, we had, we lived on the, on the block, you know, and so we had like one little square foot of grass in front of our stoop, and we would pretend that that was our ring, and we'd put on the, the walkout music with our belts and strut. <laughs> and we'd wrestle, like that was what we did for fun, okay? You see, WWF wrestlers were not the only ones with walkout music. Let's go back a couple of thousand years. Let's go back to the day of emperors and kings returning to the capital city from war. And they had a form of walkout music. 
You see, the entire city would come and form a line, and there'd be a processional, and the trumpets would blare the fanfare, and the emperor would come and enter the city with his strut, right? I imagine it was a strut. He was probably on a chariot, you know? And there was hype, and there was fanfare, and he arrived in the spotlight as if to say, I've arrived. What would your walkout music be? You see, we're going to stay right here in the time of emperors and kings because there's this man, and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. And we found out throughout the book of Mark that he actually is also a king. He's the king of God's kingdom, God's chosen son, and he arrives. And this morning, we're going to see Jesus walk into the capital city. We're going to see Jesus walk toward Jerusalem. And as we watch him walk, I want you to pay attention to how he walks. Does he walk with a strut? Does he have a power walk? Does he arrive with all of the hype and fanfare of Caesar himself? Is he strutting toward a throne with trumpets blaring? Pay attention to how he walks. Because what we're going to see this morning is that Jesus' walk shows us our way. Jesus' walk shows you your way. Because he's not just walking on his path. He's showing you the way of life. The good way, friends. The way that you can navigate through the fog of this confusing world. He wants to show you a way that satisfies your soul. He wants to show you a way that will result in eternal life. And so pay attention, friends, because Jesus' walk shows us our way. Would you like to see it? Here we go. Do you smell? No, let me not. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. This is God's word for East Point Church. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Let's pause right there. We're watching the way that Jesus walked. And the first thing we realize is that Jesus is walking through death to life. Jesus is walking through death to life. They're on the road, right? They're going to Jerusalem, and there's this bit of a caravan, right? It's Jesus. He's got his 12 original disciples, but there's also a greater cloud of followers. And as they're going up to Jerusalem, we see that there's some apprehension in the air. They're going to Jerusalem, and they know what awaits them there. Twice already, Jesus has told them what is going to happen in Jerusalem. And now here again, he confirms it for a third time. He says, the Son of Man, I will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. I will be delivered to the religious leaders who are in Jerusalem. And so guys, remember, we've already seen these religious leaders from Jerusalem. We've already seen them go up north into Jesus' region of Galilee and cause him trouble. We've seen these leaders go up north and oppose him in his area of ministry. But now Jesus is coming south. And Jesus is entering their turf. He's entering the capital city. He's coming into their backyard. And friends, this time, Jesus, they're going to do more than simply oppose 
Jesus. They will condemn him. They would deliver him. And they will kill him. So the disciples, how would you feel, right? The disciples, they're feeling the weight of what's about to happen. It says that some of them were amazed. They're amazed by what's happening. Jesus knows what's coming, and yet he's not dragging his feet. He's not lagging behind. No, they're amazed because he is ahead of them. He is walking resolutely toward his death. So they're amazed. Some of them were afraid. They go, we know what's going to happen to Jesus, but, but what does this mean for me? If I'm following Jesus, what am I walking into here? He's going to Jerusalem to die. And Jesus, no doubt, he feels the weight of what awaits him. He feels the weight of what is about to happen in the capital. But notice what he says. This is the third time now, and every time that he's predicted his death, he's ended with the same thing. He says this, after three days, he will rise. You see, Jesus knows that he's walking to his death, but death is not the end. My path leads through death, but it does not end in death. Jesus is walking through death to life. Yes, we're, this is a scene about Jesus' travel plans. Yes, this is a scene about walking to Jerusalem. But friends, you need to understand this is so much more than that. Do you see what Mark is doing here? Look at the language that he uses and, and see if you can catch what he's implying. He says, Jesus was walking ahead of them. On the road to Jerusalem, Jesus is walking ahead of them. And then behind him, were those who followed. Mark is not simply giving us the details of the itinerary, okay? He, he's not simply uh, trying to give us the details of where they were physically placed on the road. That, that's not really the point, friends. He's giving us a picture of something bigger. Do you get it? This is a picture of the essence of discipleship. This is not about where they were on the street. This is about what he calls each of us to do as his followers. Jesus walks ahead and we follow behind wherever he may go. This is a picture of discipleship. This is the call. If you want to know what, what, what Jesus is all about, we can summarize it very succinctly. Follow me. He said to the first men in the boat that he called, leave your nuts, follow me. We saw him say last week to the rich man, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. This is the essence. This is what it means. Friends, being a Christian is not about your political affiliation. It's not about religious affiliation. It's about following Jesus. Are you a follower? We're all following something. Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you living a life where you understand that Jesus is walking ahead of you and you are those who follow him. We are apprentices learning the way of our master. We are the followers pursuing the leader wherever he may go. And so here we are again, hearing what Jesus is walking, hearing where his path is leading because Jesus' walk shows us our way.
Jesus' walk shows us our way because we're following him. And so here we are again, where Jesus is telling them exactly what he is walking toward. He is telling them exactly where his path leads because he wants them to know, friends, he wants us to know that our way will inevitably lead into conflict with the powers that be. If we follow him, our lives will inevitably lead into conflict with the prevailing agenda and operating system of this world. He says, follow me. And just know, if they hate me, they will hate you. You see, we may never experience a physical death for our faith. I mean, like, like Lord willing, right? What do you say? We live in a nation with religious freedoms. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather here in public without fear for our lives. Like, that's huge. Thank you to the men and women who sacrifice their lives so that we can experience this type of freedom. I have friends on the mission field, and this is not the case. They hide in basements, and they meet under candlelight just to read the Bible together. So we're grateful for this, no doubt. We may never experience physical death for our faith, but let's not let our religious freedom trick us for one moment. Following Jesus will cost you something. Following Jesus will cost you death. We die every day to the possibility of being fully embraced by this world. We die every day to the ability to just flow with the cultural tide and the agenda of the powers that be. We die every day to the pursuits and priorities of this world. We die every day to the passions of our flesh and to our selfish ambition. We die every day, friends, to our preferences and our pursuits and the way that we would do it if we were king of the world. Following Jesus is a journey of a thousand deaths. Follow me, he says. Following Jesus is the journey of a thousand deaths. And tell you what, I know that there are moments in this life that if we were being honest with ourselves, we look at this journey, we look at what it cost us, and just like the disciples, we're afraid. If you've ever looked at the road and counted the cost and said, what would that mean for me? If you've ever felt anxiety or apprehension about what it would cost you, you're in good company here. That's real. But look what I want to encourage you with, friends. Look how Jesus encourages them. He reminds us, yes, the road that I'm leading you on will inevitably go through death. Yes, it will inevitably go through suffering, but it doesn't end there. Why? Because after three days, he will rise. And so will you. Your death is temporary. Your rejection is light and momentary when compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits you. Our death is not forever. This is not a road to death. Oh no, this is not a road to death. This is a road through death to life. And so we follow Jesus, friends. We follow Jesus on this walk, even through death, even through the pain, knowing that his way and his way alone leads to the soul-satisfying, life-giving, joy-producing way of life, of life with God. And so we follow him because Jesus' walk shows us our way. And so they're walking, and there are two disciples 
two disciples who have yet to connect the dots between Jesus' way and their way. Two disciples, and I'm going to introduce you to my friends here, but go easy on them. Have grace on them, because the reality is we're no better than them, okay? So look at these two disciples. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Love James and John. Grateful for the Gospel of John. Grateful for the three letters that John wrote. I love James and John. But this morning they remind me that doing something important for Jesus can become wanting to be important like Jesus. Doing something important for Jesus can become being important like Jesus. And so we hear from them, I mean, what else do we call it? This is an ambitious request. They're journeying on the road, and they ask Jesus for a solid. Hey, Jesus, can you do me a favor? Like, that's what you say when you're going to ask for five bucks. That's what you say when when you're going to ask somebody to water your plants while you're gone. Hey, can you do me a quick favor? And oh, by the way, I want you to do whatever I ask of you. (laughs) Yo, this is just bold face, right? I want you to do whatever we ask of you. Jesus, we want you to sign this blank check and let me take it wherever I go. So Jesus doesn't go, sure thing, pal. He goes, what do you want me to do for you? What are you thinking, boys? Tell me. And they say, grant us this request. On the day when you finally are sitting in your glory, in the day, in the new world, when you are finally sitting on the throne, ruling and reigning over the whole world in perfect justice and leading in perfect righteousness, which by the way, anybody yearning for that day right about now? On the day where you are leading and sitting on the throne, Jesus, can we sit next to you in the positions of privilege and prestige? You know, I was just thinking, Jesus, maybe like one of us at your right hand, one of us at your left hand. I mean, obviously you on the throne. You're the big dog, all right? You sit on the throne, Jesus. There's no question there. But could we be like second and third in command? Point blank. They're saying, Lord, we want power and authority. When we see those two thrones on either side of you, we're not going to lie. We think we're the men for the job. See, this is James and John, guys. Like, James and John are pretty central to this whole movement, all right? Like, they were some of the first disciples. Remember, they were in the net with their father Zebedee, some of the first disciples. James and John, if you lump them in with Peter, like, they're part of the inner three. Like, Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. That's like the thing. Peter, James, and John. It's these guys. These are the guys that when the other nine stood down, they got to go up the mountain and see Jesus transfigured. They got to see with their eyes things that the other nine would only hear about and read about. They're central. And so I wonder, 
Is it possible that this level of behind-the-scenes access, is it possible that this level of proximity to Jesus has started to create a little bit of self-importance? Obviously, they want to do something important, man. These are guys who have some horsepower under the hood. They have a level of drive. I imagine their personalities, right? These are the same dudes who called it out, who wanted to call down lightning on their opponents. Like, you said what? Ka-chow! I mean, they're driven, okay? They're not passive. They want to do something important. But doing something important for Jesus can easily devolve into being important like Jesus. I want to serve Jesus can easily become, I want some of the fame and recognition of Jesus. I want to sit at the feet of Jesus has become, I want to sit next to Jesus. So that you know when when everybody comes and worships Jesus, when they see him, they'll, you know, they'll know. Friends, do you want to contribute towards something that makes a difference in this world? Right? Like, do you want to be a part of something great? Do you want to be a part of something that is rewarding and fulfilling as you see God himself not just participating in, but directing this initiative to change the world by reconciling people to himself? Do you want to be a part of something that is bigger than you, a.k.a. the kingdom? That's amazing. Me too. That's why we're here. But if that's you, heads up. Because doing something important for Jesus can easily become wanting to be important like Jesus. And so they're asking Jesus, can you do me a favor? Can we get those seats of position and prestige? And Jesus, he responds and he makes it clear. You don't know what you're asking. (laughs) You don't know what you're talking about. You, you want to sit in those chairs. You want to sit in those seats. But James and John, I'm just going to tell you point blank, you don't understand the nature of such a request. You're asking to sit in those seats, but you don't fully understand the weight that comes with those seats. There is a burden. There is a price that comes with that throne that you don't understand. He goes, you really want to sit in that chair? Are are you able to handle the price that comes with that seat? Are you able to experience the level of suffering? Are you able to handle those cards if they were dealt to you? Are you able to drink that cup? Are you able to be dunked in that baptism pool? You don't know what you're asking. You don't even know what you're asking. But isn't it like that sometimes when you're driven by self-importance? When you are driven by self-importance, you become enamored with the perceived perks of a chair while being blinded to the burdens of the same chair. When you're driven by self-importance, you will envy people's positions, though you have never even been acquainted with the burdens of leadership in that position. Because all you see is the perks. Because are you able? You think you're able to handle the weight of that? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Oh yeah, 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 we can do that. No hesitation, right? We are able. (laughs) Jesus, man. I just wish I could be a fly on the wall sometimes, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. We got this, Jesus. Totally. Suffering? Check. Persecution's done. 
Look what Jesus says. He goes, okay, well, you know what? You will. You will drink from that cup. You will have to play that hand. You will experience that baptism just like I am. You will. But as for the positions of glory and honor, you're asking the wrong guy because that's not mine to grant out. Isn't that crazy? But Jesus, you're the king. Yes, I know. But here's what I'm trying to teach you, friends. The Father, in his sovereignty, it is him who appoints and prepares those seats. There will be positions of leadership in the kingdom. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 19, which probably provides the subtext and the context for what this is. Jesus says, truly I say to you, in the new world, We're talking about new heavens, new earth, kingdom, right? No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. In the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. There will be work. There will be organization. Friends, there will be leadership in the coming kingdom. Think about that. But here's Jesus' point. God appoints those levels of leadership. God prepares those positions for people. And so James and John, hear me out, boys. Those seats will not be earned through politicking or ambition. They will be granted to those whom God decides to use in that capacity. Let's take a moment. Leaders in the room, elders, staff, community group leaders, team leaders, hear me, any of you who aspire towards spiritual leadership, our positions of leadership in the kingdom are not won through campaigning. They are given through calling. Leadership is not earned through popularity contest. They are not maintained through tight-fisted control and manipulation. God raises up. God appoints. And God transitions as he wills. And so I'm sorry, James and John. I can't give you what you're asking. That's not how leadership works in the kingdom. And so I'll see you on the road, Mark Death. And so he tells them this, right? And by the time he ends this conversation, by the time he's wrapping it up and moving on, the other ten disciples are catching wind of their conversation. What, the, what James and John intended as a private, like, hey, Jesus, real quick, between me and you, right? what they intended to be a private request has become a little bit of a public spectacle. And so look how the other ten respond. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The final thing we see here this morning, friends, is that the leaders of the movement must look like their Lord. The leaders of this movement must look like their Lord who's out in front of them. And so the others, they hear about the request, and they get mad. They are indignant at James and John. How could they ask for such a thing? And why do you think they're mad? Come on now. 
Why do you think they're mad? Because they wanted those seats too. <laughs> right? How could you? That's so immature of you. No, 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 no. That's, they're not indignant at their immaturity. They're indignant because James and John were faster. You see, we already saw this back in Mark chapter 9. They were arguing over who's the greatest. They were arguing over who would be the highest ranking disciple. And they, you know, they wanted to settle this like civilized mature men. Let's leave Jesus out of this. We'll decide among us who's going to be the greatest. Who gets to sit at the right and the left? And James and John, those conniving disciples, they said, you guys argue. We're just going to go straight to the top. Hey, Jesus, we got a request for you. And so they're mad. They went straight to the top for the positions of importance and a place of honor. And they're mad. And Jesus, he calls a huddle. When Jesus calls a huddle, pay attention. When Jesus calls a timeout on the road in order to talk to you, pay attention. You see, Jesus can't let this one just blow over. They're mad. They're fighting. There's something between them. But he can't ignore it. There's just something about this that that Jesus just can't, you know, boys will be boys. Let them settle this on their own. No, no, no. He can't let them sort it out. Friends, because this attitude, this heart posture poses such a threat to the movement that it must not be allowed to exist in the hearts of those who are about to be entrusted with the movement. And so he tells them, he goes, huddle up here, guys, huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. Those who are rulers in the world, those who are considered great ones with great influence and prestige and authority, those people... Do you know how they lead? Do you know how they conduct themselves? They exercise their leadership and their authority in heavy-handed ways. The rulers of this world, they lord over those who are entrusted to them. They enjoy flexing their authority in self-seeking ways. And so if we were to describe it, we would say that the world's leaders see their roles as positions of privilege. You served me. I'm first. I earned being the king of the mountain. I have earned this top position. And so I'm going to enjoy the perks and the privileges. You served me. I'm the leader. And so Jesus, he says to the disciples, that's what you look like right now. Hey guys, huddle up. I want you to look in the mirror here. Because you look an awful lot like those rulers over there that you've been complaining about. You look an awful lot like the leaders that you're praying are replaced by the true king. You look a lot like this right now. And so here's what I want, you to, say. Here's what I want to say to you, disciples. Here's what I want to say to you, church. Look what he says. It shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. This is not how you will lead. This is not how you will conduct yourself. Do you, do you hear his direct tone? This is like my mother. She had this certain tone, right, where it was like you knew she was for reals, okay? Jesus doesn't say, it shouldn't be like this. I hope it won't be like this. He goes, stop it. Stop it. It will not be this way. You will not. If I'm entrusting this to you, it will not be this way. Do you understand me? He's direct. If you truly want to be great, 
If you truly want to be great among you, if you truly want to be something in my kingdom, let me tell you who I think are the greatest. It's those who serve. If you truly want to be great, I think, in my estimation, those who assume the posture of servant are the greatest. Those who are completely committed to the service of others. And so you know how the world's leaders work. Let me show you how God's leaders work. They see their roles as positions of sacrifice. I'm here to serve you. I am last. Your needs, your preferences are above my own. And in, in, the, in God's kingdom, in God's economy, friends, the king of the hill is at the bottom. God's pyramid is flipped. We are striving not for positions of privilege, but for the position of sacrifice and burden. And so Jesus, he goes, this is how you will lead. He's so direct, right? Like, Jesus, you only have a few weeks left on earth. Let's not rock the, the boat. Let's not cause any waves. Just enjoy the last few moments of earth with your disciples. Can't we just ignore this one? Why do you have to be so direct? Because these are the men to whom he's about to entrust the movement. He is leaving them to carry the baton. And so they must not lead like the leaders of this world. He needs his leaders to be men who would sacrifice their lives for the sheep, not sacrifice the sheep for their fame. He needs the leaders of this movement to be men and women who will feed the sheep more than they feed their ego. He needs leaders who will lay down their lives more than they pick up their rights. He goes, you need to be like this. Why? Because the leaders of the movement must look like their Lord. Those who follow me must walk like me. And that's not how I walk. Friends, this is not how Jesus conducts himself. This is not the type of leadership that he practices. Do you want to see his way of leadership? Do you want to see how he conducts himself as Lord? Look what it says here. I came not to be served but to serve. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. And there's the bombshell. There's the point. There's the example right in front of them. This very walk, this very journey toward Jerusalem, this is not just any old walk. This is the example He's not walking with a power walk. He's not walking with a strut filled with self-importance and strength. He, he is walking toward a cross. This is a death march of a servant who is about to arrive in Jerusalem for the sole purpose of laying down his life as a sacrifice for others. This is a man the strongest, most intelligent, best leader this planet has ever seen, the Son of God, the King of the world. And he is walking to Jerusalem to die. Why? For the sins of the world. He's about to lay down his life for your benefit. The creator of heaven and earth, 
is walking to Jerusalem to serve you, friend, so that you who were estranged from God might be brought back into the fold of God. Take a good look at this walk. Take a good look at the way Jesus is going because he is laying down his life for you. East Point Church, brother and sister in 2023, living in Easton, Maryland, Talbot County, the Eastern Shore. The King of Heaven is about to die as a servant, serving you in your spiritual desperation. He's walking to serve you by carrying your cross so that you don't have to. He's showing up at your doorstep to serve you by dressing you in his righteousness. He's getting you dressed in the morning even as he takes on your garments of sin and shame on himself. This is our leader. This is our God. Is he not worthy of being followed? And so Jesus, I imagine, he ends this episode and he goes, it will not be so among you. And I imagine he turns and he continues walking toward Jerusalem and all that awaits him there. And as he continues to walk toward Jerusalem, he turns to us this morning, friends, and he goes, follow me. Follow me. Jesus' walk shows us our way. This is a walk through death to life. But he says, by my spirit, follow me. This is a walk that is marked by obscurity, empty of self-importance. But he looks to you and he says, hey, in my power, follow me. This is a walk that is completely devoted to the service of others. And yet he says over his shoulder to you, on my example, follow me. Because Jesus' walk shows us our way. And so let's follow him. Let's follow him. Lord, we love you. We just love your example. We love seeing you in action. And Father, you stand head and shoulders above any leader this world has ever seen. Lord, you're beautiful to behold, inspirational to watch, moving to follow, God. Father, as we reflect on you, on your walk, would you show us our way? Lord, as we reflect on your ways, would you empower us to go and do likewise? And Father, as this word soaks in our hearts, as these seeds germinate in our soul, make us more like Jesus. Prepare us, your bride, for the day that we will see you face to face. Prepare us for the day that you return for your bride by making us more like Jesus. We love you, Father. We ask you that you would help us to walk in your ways so that you may receive all the glory so that the eastern shore and the whole world see how beautiful you are and follow you. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. 
It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.